So hello and welcome to the very first episode of Tolkien with Friends or Tolkien with Friends if you want to pronounce it correctly but I think the joke lands better if you just say it the dumb American way. <laughs> um, it lands. <laughs> Tolkien. Yeah so my name is Andy and I'm here with my best friend Anna to talk to you about all things Middle Earth fantasy fandom. Love it. So Anna is there anything you want? to say to people before we get started um just want to preface that you are the diehard lord of the rings fan here i'm taking a lot of cues from you because yeah. this is this is your lifeblood yes <laughs> i think that is very accurate so um and we'll get into this more but like yes i am the tolkien nerd in the between this friendship but you know it's called talking with friends so we're gonna bring on some fun guests later people that definitely know a lot more than me um people that maybe know the same amount as me less than me i think it's really just like the vibe of the podcast is really just like chill friendly you know the in-depth stupid conversations that you have with your best friends um is the idea right so so like for the premise of the podcast for anybody who is like what even is this uh the the premise is we'll be discussing like various adaptations of tolkien's middle earth starting with peter jackson's epic film trilogy so we'll be dissecting a chapter or two and discussing the interesting changes the films made to get these books on the big screen uh, but before we get into that, we wanted to start with a discussion about the role that adaptations have played and how we experience not only Lord of the Rings, but any fandom. Now, Anna, we both know, like, as we j- literally just talked about, like, I am the Tolkien nerd between the two of us. But what fandoms would you say mean a lot to you? Game of Thrones is by far my lifeblood. <laughs> um, so... If I, when talking about Lord of the Rings, randomly use an example from Game of Thrones, such as because I'm trying to relate it to my own fandom, um, Game of Thrones is the top one. Dune has been a new one, a new obsession, Mm. because the movie that just came out. Uh, Yeah. Oh, and... Absolutely. I guess, like, I don't know, this might be cringy, but Twilight is something that, like, I read first, and then they adapted it into a movie, so. Totally. And you know what's so funny is that I feel like Twilight gets brought up on, I don't know, do you ever end up on Twilight side of TikTok? Oh, yeah. I I love the tone of that, oh, yeah. Um, But, like, it definitely comes up as far as, like, I don't know. I think that now it's kind of become one of it's like almost like an inside joke as far as like, you know, people talk about it being cringe or whatever. But like that was a whole whirlwind. Yeah, totally wild. Like I think um, so my friend Callie, she was definitely into it. And I read them because of her. And I was like, okay, sure. You know, whatever. And then I saw the first movie with her i even bought a twilight t-shirt y'all like same (laughs) and so and you know that's another thing that's interesting is that like when we talk about um adaptations i think that there is like a tendency for some people to 
shame other fans for like the way they entered the fandom and i just want to like put it out there right now that 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 is not what this podcast is you know what i mean yes this is about loving something not about shaming someone else for appreciating that fandom yeah exactly and you know if it's like if you read twilight and that got you into reading more books or more fantasy that's great you know like if you if harry potter was the first giant series you ever read then like hell yeah like you know loving things should not be like shameful no (laughs) and you know i just think you know we've talked about a lot about this at the like between the two of us but just like the toxicity of the internet can be a lot sometimes so just wanted to like preface since this is the first episode like this is not gonna be one of those places like this is a wholesome cast as far as like like I can't guarantee that I'm never going to curse on the internet but um but as far as like the 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 general vibe the welcomingness like this is a, a place for anybody absolutely yeah. So, you know, with, like I know Game of Thrones is a big one for you. And, you know, we both love Star Wars. Like we talk about yeah. Star Wars and we talk about Marvel stuff. I feel like Marvel, there's so many facets to it that it's like hard to keep up. And there's like, and you know, like my husband, Josh, and you guys are, will probably learn that both of our husbands are named Josh. <laughs> <laughs> Might get confusing. Yeah. So we'll probably say like my Josh and We'll both say my Josh, hopefully. I mean, you can tell the difference between our voices, whatever. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like, uh, my Josh has, I feel like he knows a lot more of, like, Star Wars lore and stuff. And also, like, what is canon versus not. Um, and so, you know, we like to talk, you know, we talk about that kind of stuff all the time. And, you know, Marvel is really fun. But it, there's so ma- there's so much, t- there's so many different pieces of Marvel that it's like... And, like, with comic books, like, you can have so many different editions. Like, for me, like, I'm just going to be obsessed with, like, a couple things. And the rest is just kind of for fun, if that makes sense. Absolutely. There's, like, when you are into a fandom, there's only so much you have to dedicate to it. Yeah. I mean, it's, like, how much brain space can I fill with nerdy shit? And granted, I will try to fill it with a lot of shit. But... You know, I I can't fully commit to all of it. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, talking about Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, these types of big fantasy adaptations, you know, we know that and we know that Tolkien's work has been adapted into multiple things. Like we have several cartoon movies. We have two separate live action trilogies, the TV show that's coming out later this year in September and an anime um, about the Rohirrim coming in 2024. Um, and obviously we know that Game of Thrones was a huge cultural phenomenon. Like, remember when I bought those MTA tickets that were Game of Thrones themed? Yes, I keep mine with me all the time. <laughs> good, good. I uh, I think I kept one for myself. Do I know where it is? No. So that's why I gave them to you and Alex, because you both still have them. <laughs> <laughs> it may it just makes sense that way um but you know with all of that in mind uh you know all the different ways that we have seen things we love interpreted i think we should talk about the ways that adaptations have helped shape our experiences of our 
respective fandoms. So, I mean, that can mean a lot of things, right? Like, um, I did a, a TikTok. So, so, and I'll also say that, like, the idea for the podcast came from my usage of TikTok. Like, I'm Andy Inc. on TikTok, and I it's just solely based on Lord of the Rings. Um, and one of my first things that I started doing was talking about the differences between the films and the movie and the films and the movies. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> the, the books and the movies. Um, so basically what I was doing was adding a line from the books. Just if I could just have one line to change a certain scene and you know where I would put it. Um, and, you know, I have some friends on there um, for, uh, for example, Sarah, who is welcome to join us anytime if she's listening, uh, she, and she's um, se Holmes twenty five on TikTok. But she was doing like the opposite thing, like how the movies did it be- did certain things better than the books. And I was like, you know, this is a really fun idea to explore. So that's kind of like why we're in your ear right now. Um, but you know, as far as when we think about adaptations and the way that they you know, that's exactly what they are. They adapt, they take the thing that we love and they morph it into something new, right? And mm-hmm. so, like, how does that change your experience? And, and you know, for me, um, like, my introduction to Lord of the Rings was based around the films, you know? Like, I, I, re- I did get to read the books first, but it was really, like, my mom saying, hey, these movies are coming out, I've never read them. Let's read them together and then we'll know what the deal is, you know? And so, but, you know, I was 11 at the time and uh, I think there's something about that, like, age range, like the tween, early teens, where it's like once you love something right then, it's like cemented into your brain and is like fully part of my personality now. (laughs) Uh, but then, you know, there's other people that I've seen on TikTok, for example, where the Hobbit that are somehow much older than me uh, or much younger than me and older than me. And um, I've had people stitch some of my videos saying like how Lord of the Rings video game was their way into Tolkien or, you know, the Hobbit uh, cartoon adaptation or the Hobbit film trilogy from Peter Jackson was their first thing. And, you know, they love it. And for me, like the Hobbit film trilogies is really hard to watch so um i you know i I think it definitely uh it has a big it's it's an it's an entry point right and it can kind of shape probably how you interact with the fandom going forward and i think it can also like shape the the thing that you love about the original do you know what i mean Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, absolutely so for, for you and Game of Thrones, like, how does your experience um, entering through the show affect, you know, how you interact with Game of Thrones now? You, you mentioned the point in time when you come into contact with the fandom. Right. So, I mean, I don't know. What was it? Seventh grade, sixth grade when yeah. uh, The Fellowship of the Ring came out? And I remember just being like, whoa, what is this? Like, my mind was blown. It was one of those things where, like, my mom had read the books and she just wanted to share this experience with me. Um, So I was completely just, like, mind blown 
Yeah, for sure. It was so cool. And I think that kind of cemented my love and appreciation for that type of storytelling. Mm -hmm. Because then since then, I've always been more gravitated towards large, epic, very detailed political um, fantasy worlds. And Game of Thrones is that combination between it is very very violent Mm. um and political but there's also those little whips of like magic and mystic mysticism i'm so sorry (laughs) yeah hey cal and now cal's gonna bark because (laughs) josh has left (laughs) so he took him and then he left he went to go potty him Uh and now he came back inside to go to his dad's house oh yeah, I'm just waiting for the moment when my dogs start barking. And honestly, I feel like right now we could just give a disclaimer. Like, if you don't like dogs, this may not be the podcast for you. Right. You need to go somewhere else where it's dog free because <laughs> we're very dog. <laughs> yeah. And our dogs, um, they do talk back. So, like, not in the way that a husky talks back, but like, uh, <laughs> like that. So back to so you were probably so i was definitely in fifth grade when lord of the rings came out and what's wild is 2001 had to be like a life-altering year for me because harry potter and lord of the rings both came out like the movies the first movies both came out that same holiday season like obviously um because of my age really not obviously but um harry potter I fully dived into at nine, so third grade for me. And um, then I didn't read Lord of the Rings until uh, right before the movies came out. So probably when I was like 10 or 11. And um, and luckily I read them with my mom because I think that that, I think that, that helped a lot as far as like uh, getting through some of the parts. Because, you know, Tolkien, he really, like, describes a lot of the landscapes and, like, you get a lot of, like, nitty-gritty. And I know that that's turned some people off. Um, and obviously it's, like, fine if you just watch the movies. Like, you're still just as valid of a fan or whatever. But um, I think that that did help me a lot because it's, you know, the language usage is so much different than, mm-hmm. like, something like Harry Potter. But, girl, I was all in. I was I was thinking about it the other day and... Um, I don't really have an example. Like, I definitely remember playing Harry Potter a lot with my friends, you know. But as far as, like, something about it just, like, captured my imagination in a way that felt different than other things. Like, I tried to write my own Lord of the Rings. um, (laughs) But it was just, um, it was, like, too hobbit characters and i'm sure i made them both girls and then they had a golem like character but he wasn't uh evil in the way that golem is in lord of the rings like he was more of like a just like a a sad friend (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but you know it was you know my little 10 year old brain version of it and then trying to go on some epic adventure and i tried to like make my own map of a place and stuff i just think i think that you know, Harry Potter, obviously, like as an example for uh, everyone, but Harry Potter is set in our world. You know, it's London, it's within, you know, it's a world within a world kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But Middle Earth, it had its own map, it has its own geography. Like the mountains don't make any sense, you know, like it's <laughs> it's just whatever Tolkien wanted it to be. And I thought that was so cool. Like the 
the stupidest down to the stupidest detail like i was all in i was like yes tell me where these stupid rivers go <laughs> and where they lead and why they're there and um all the the lore and you know i feel like i uh it, you know it wasn't until i was probably in high school that i realized like how much more there was to middle earth you know like stuff like the silmarillion and the other maps that he created and like the um the different changes he made but you know like i survived off the appendices for years mm. you know and then of course when the movies came out and um i held out for the extended edition so they had those hours and hours of content everything from like tolkien documentaries to like production designs and like behind the scenes stuff you know i lived for that there's a one thing that I never see people talk about on TikTok, which is some of the extra features on there. They, they, I, I see them a lot, like the cast interviews, but there was this one feature that I was obsessed with on, I think it was on, I can't remember which movie it was on now, which if it was the beginning or the end, but it essentially was a map and it would, you could travel through it, like depending on which you could show like Legolas and Gimli's journey or Merry and Pippin's or Frodo uh -huh. and Sam's and i mean i memorized that thing wow i don't think i ever watched that feature oh god it was there because it is and it was very embedded into my memory because i watched i played with it that much it was like kind of interactive and uh this is the reason i want to repurchase a dvd player because um backstory when i moved across the country i did not bring a dvd player but i have the appendices on dvd and just no way to go look at them, but that is something that I desperately want to do. <laughs> um, of course. Yeah. So just more things to buy. Always. 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 Um, so you were talking about when you first entered kind of the Lord of the Rings as like a tween, right? Mm -hmm. And how that... Um, and you know that kind of affected how you got into game of thrones you know or how you viewed game of thrones i would i guess um and what intrigued you about it you know it entered you into this like fantasy world with like different political regimes and like different magic systems and all that kind of stuff um so how did so you but you definitely entered game of thrones through the tv show right correct and so when you, like, at what point did you start picking up the books? And at what point did you realize that you're like, I'm obsessed with this forever? Well, I would have to say, when did I realize I was obsessed with it forever? Definitely pilot Game of Thrones. Uh, I was around 21 years old when I got introduced to the show. And I think two seasons um, had come out at that point. Uh, so I binge watched the first two and then from season three on, it was, you know, episode mm -hmm. by episode and immediately hooked by the world and the characters and the story building. And I, on purpose, I think it held out on reading the books until I knew the series was about to end because the 
the show creators are making their own distinctive choices about the world. And I kind of didn't want to get them too mixed up in my mind. Mm, yeah. uh, and th there, there are some very, you know, different features in the book and in the TV show. So I'm, I'm glad I made that decision for myself. Um, but it's it's almost like experience experiencing it all over again, and yeah. that that's really like Chef's Kiss about being in a fandom. Like I can appreciate the TV show for what it's bringing, and then I can read the books, and it's giving me the same thing but different. It's yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that that's one thing that um, makes adaptation so intriguing and that makes them so fun really is because like so right we have lord of the rings the books and there is they're chock full of detail there's like you you get a lot more information about what's going on in the world but would i trade those original the, you know the trilogy by peter jackson for anything in the world absolutely not and like there are things that like i don't always particularly love like mm -hmm. Faramir's characterization like I know why they did it in the movies and but like the actors the set designers the, the special effects people the costume designers I think that like something like that and especially like when you have big series where the people are working together for a long time you know I think you even get that in like Game of Thrones when you've watched the cast talk to each other like the love that they have for each other I think mm -hmm. it overflows into the work you know and yes. so that's how I feel about Lord of the Rings I think it's like where the books are really the culmination of one man's life work and it's beautiful and it's detailed and it's lovely and then you get to see the I guess the version of that when thousands of people get to collaborate and create something new for us um, and I think that that's you know speaks to the the magic of adaptation what um like what responsibility do adaptations have to be accurate or true to the original as far as like storylines and characterizations mm -hmm. and i think this is really where you get into quote unquote the art and the science behind adaptations because there are certain objective um you know plot points that someone needs to hit like mm -hmm. in game of thrones hand of the king dies they go get a new hand of the king they come down to you know king's landing shit unravels that obviously needed to stay you know stay true to the, the storyline because that's critical to the plot moving forward but right. then I think there are subjective details that absolutely can be decided by the artist at hand again I can't say is it 25% you know true to the books is it 50% mm -hmm. I don't think there's a number because um, it's that again that very very gray line between objective and subjective parts um, to the story you know we we can think about when it comes to the faithfulness of adaptations and their role like I think you can start with why are they making the adaptation right because with 
the case of like fantasy authors um, like Tolkien or George R. R. Martin or any of them, you know, it was a story that they wanted to get down on paper. And in the case of Tolkien, that was kind of a roundabout way, but you could say, I mean, he had this idea for this world at large that became the Silmarillion, like when he was in the trenches of world war one, essentially. And the Hobbit only happened because his kids are way too detail oriented and needed him to get the story right. So he went back and wrote it down instead of telling it to them like a bedtime story. And then people in his circle, like encouraged him to get it published. They asked for a sequel. They didn't really get one. They got Lord of the Rings. And, (laughs) but he based it around his, you know, his mythology that he had started many, many years before decades before. Um, but essentially the same idea is right that the they start out because they have a story in their brain and they need to get it out on paper and um and obviously like as an author you definitely you obviously want to make money off of it you know but as far as like the seed for it i think it's like it's pretty uh, you know organic and doesn't have a lot of motives behind it but then when you think about a movie or tv show like the idea isn't just to tell great stories like of course i think that probably all directors and people involved like that is like how they got into the industry or whatever but at the end of the day it's you know to make money right so and to make a story that makes sense on the screen and so like we're gonna go through this every week talking about the ways that the you know the peter jackson movies had to adapt to make and whether or not we agree with how those changes were made you know um but you know i think everybody pretty much knows about the thing with tom bombadil like there is this character in fellowship of the ring where they have kind of like a side quest um and he gets them out of a lot of trouble and then he is never really heard of again. And like, you can totally see how, like, he's a great character. He's a fun character. It's really interesting. And there's some other things that do happen within that storyline that I would love to keep, but we'll talk about that later. But, um, I will, as far- FYI, I've never heard of this. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> Anna, I can't wait to talk about that with you, <laughs> but, um, the, but, you know, you can see why a character like that would need to be cut as far as, like, there's so much information in these books, you know? And you only have three movies to tell them in, you know, one per book. So um, it, it totally makes sense to streamline it in a lot of ways. Now, with the Lord of the Rings TV show, it's going to be so interesting because it's about the second age of Middle-earth which I've, I've definitely told you a little bit about, but it's the second age of Middle Earth and they, they're they being very adamant that they don't have the rights to any part of the Silmarillion. I don't 100% believe that, but they're saying that they only have the rights to like Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, and the appendices and they're going to get the bulk of it probably from the appendices. So they have like the high points of the story, but to, to try to hold them to the same standard... It, that is the bar set by Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings, I think is really unrealistic. Mm-hmm. And also they're not, 
one thing that one of my mutuals on TikTok was also acting like was like, you know, they're not going to please the Silmarillion fans. And I'm like, they're definitely not trying to because the fan base, like, obviously they're leaning hard into the love that Peter Jack, the people have for Peter Jackson's movies. You know, we've been able to kind of foster that over 20 plus years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And we, and it's, they're such an easy entry point. There are so many people that have just seen the movies and never read the books, you know, because they are so, and I think at part that, you know, tells you a lot about how great those movies were that you felt like you got the whole picture, right? Um, and they're, they are so beautiful. And I think they're definitely leaning into that. But they know that most people haven't read The Silmarillion. Nor does <laughs> do most people intend to. Right. You know? Um, and, it, and it's reads incredibly differently than Lord of the Rings. Like, Lord of the Rings has dialogue. Lord of the Rings has... Um, like a, a strong narrative in the Silmarillion, it is essentially like the history of Middle Earth. It's like a textbook in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. There's some dialogue, and there are bits and pieces of it that have been extrapolated into their own novels, like the Children of Huron or Baron and Luthien. You know, the, in the Fall of Gondolin, like the stories that Tolkien had clearly put a lot of thought into, but like as a whole, uh, and especially the part about the Second Age. There's not a ton to work with. There's not a lot. Like there might be a few lines that they can exactly pull, but it's it's a different project, you know. It's a different and it's a different medium. We've never had a Lord of the Rings TV show before, you know. We've had cartoons and we've had live action films, um, but they've all been films, you know. You, you, they're always and obviously, in the case of Peter Jackson, it would get extended editions of like stretching the time out a little bit but as far as like season upon season and i don't even know how many seasons they've approved definitely several already but mm-hmm. it's uh it's 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 a different animal completely um and so like on and i think game of thrones is a, probably a good example of that you know whereas you get like it's and this isn't where we differ because you've read those and I haven't and I've watched the show um, and you've done both. Uh, so, you know, as far as like the minutia of detail you get, it's going to be different, but also like the way that you can make things last or not. But then Game of Thrones is also interesting because the series isn't technically done, but the show is, you know? Yeah, yeah. And you talk about Tolkien's detail in, you know, his books and George R. R. Martin is the same way. Like the way this man describes food <laughs> in his books are like, I know exactly what these characters are eating because it goes into so much detail and they're clear TV show adaptation, like logistical choices that I think were meant because spending a page and a half on what someone has had for dinner makes sense in the book because it's interesting, but a TV show, they're not, they're not going to do that. They're not going to do that. It's just like, Uh, they're just going to show it to you. Right. (laughs) (laughs) They're just going to show it to you. But there, he, he definitely also has a lot of details that there's no way even with you know hbo approval and hour-long episodes 10 episodes you know a season that you weren't you weren't going to get to everything 
Yeah, and it's and it's funny, like, so the thing with the Lord of the Rings TV show, so it's the second age, so it's like a prequel to what happens in Lord of the Rings, and we'll definitely talk about this in the next episode about um, how we do see some of the second age in the prologue of Fellowship of the Ring, the movie, um, you know, with the last alliance of elves and men. But so it's like even more before that. Um, and then I think I'm assuming that that stuff is going to be like the finale of this show, like whenever mm. season that ends up being. Mm-hmm. But uh, we've been told that the first episode or the first two episodes may be about the first age. And that's that's going to be wild because the first age it. It's really what Tolkien was focused on. It's like the high time of the elves. It's Morgoth, aka Sauron's boss, uh, you know, being like the first baddie of Middle Earth, mm-hmm. and you know, and Sauron is kind of like a pale compare, you know, like pales in comparison to Morgoth as far as like the terrible things that he does. Whoa, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we'll definitely get into that a lot next episode. But the um. So they're going to try to cram in the first... So it's I'm so interested to see, like, what things they choose to focus on. Because that's another thing, is it's, like, what the adaptation chooses to focus on in no way harms or changes or, you know, hurts the original or Tolkien's legacy or, you know, the feelings that you have about the original... It's going to be, it's going to be a different thing. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not, yes. it's it's not going to be the Silmarillion verbatim, just the way that, and I don't think it's going to, I don't know. Obviously, like the showrunners are brand new. A lot of these people are brand new to me and to most people as far as like the way that they're going to interpret or visualize the story. Um but, you know, I think that the same way that the Lord of the Rings movies weren't exactly the books and the same way that the Hobbit movies definitely were not exactly the book or even the thing, different things that the cartoons did, you know, to try to tell that story in whatever time frame they had. Um, I think that we could probably expect things like the high points to say the same, um, but... I don't know. I think it's kind of a bummer to go in with the expectation that it needs to recreate or feel the same as any other adaptation you've had or, you know, like... Yeah. And so with these big fantasy adaptations like Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones and Dune, in a way, this is the time and age to do that because uh, the entertainment industry has more technologies to execute uh, those visions onto the screen. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we still need to give them like that TV magic idea, like on a cooking show where someone's cooking and then like the recipe takes 45 minutes to cook, but they've got a version right there, you know, to to show you because you're you're watching it on TV and the TV show segment is only 
30 minutes long. Mm-hmm. Um, we all need to, even though we get a lot of the story with CGI and all of the new technologies, there's still that TV magic that we need to allot to adaptations because, well, the Lord of the Rings, you know, series takes place over such an expansive time of years that, like, that physically can't be... <laughs> exactly you know displayed easily on this tv screen so you have to just like forgive it in some instances because it's not gonna it's not gonna do that yeah exactly and i also think it's like it um makes you think about what um is our role as fans and, and trying to be stewards of the story if that makes sense like obviously if an author's still alive they get to hopefully have their two cents in and i know that that has like changed like if you want to take the series of unfortunate events for example like the first movie with jim carrey um daniel handler did not like that movie and they did not listen to him and but then he got (laughs) to be a writer on the netflix show and it's a gorgeous adaptation and things aren't exactly the same like nobody is going like there's never going to be a one for one right real re- adaptation of something um but then you see things like do you remember when the sonic movie was coming out and everyone was like so upset about the design of sonic the hedgehog like the live action one uh-huh. and then they listened to the fans and they changed it so i think it's like what are the reasonable expectations we can have like, what are the things that you can actually hold, like, giant studios accountable for? And in what ways do we also push the stories forward? Because, you know, things like this, like Tolkien, for example, I mean, this was written in, like, The Hobbit came out in 37 originally, and then there were different editions, but then Lord of the Rings came out, like, the last one in the mid-50s, you know? So how do we, and I think that most aspects are truly really timeless, but then like, how do we tell, keep telling these stories in a way that resonate with modern audiences? And I think that's one thing that the Amazon show is really dealing with right now. Like Mm -hmm. the amount of like racism and misogyny online has been, I don't know. I think that, I knew that white supremacy Tolkienites were like always there, Mm -hmm. but the way that they like come out of the woodwork, like from their holes uh, (laughs) when things, when they like decide to cast people of color into the show is like insane. And also then when they show Galadriel in armor, then it, it, it sounds exactly like the way angry fanboys on the internet reacted to Arwen um, having a bigger role um, and people acting like Kate Blanchett and uh, Liv Tyler weren't beautiful enough to play elves. Whoa, like, I didn't yeah. know that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So it's like, it's funny because like when we were, we were tiny when those movies came out and I was just so, so like I had read the books like immediately before the movies. So I knew exactly what, happen and how it changed but I was so like as a little 11 year old me with like long dark hair and super pale and then to see like Arwen taking like this badass 
role that she doesn't in the books i mean like that spoke to my little tiny baby heart Mm -hmm. you know and so to act like we can't like we shouldn't be doing the same thing about giving more women parts because like there are some really great women in the silmarillion but honestly we don't get most uh, they're mostly in the first age so the second age we gotta we gotta figure that out you know and also to give more you know black indigenous people of color roles in these stories i think it's like that is our charge now like Mm -hmm. i don't i don't even want to get started on like all the horrible uh, like arguments people make for that against it but i could literally be talking about it for like six hours i know and it uh, it hurts my heart but but essentially like as someone who you know really it meant a lot for them to give arwen that part in the movies and to like beef up her presence there i why wouldn't you want the same thing for anybody else you know what i mean like everybody deserves to see themselves in these stories like and that's and that's the bottom line, right? right? I, I think people don't realize how important those details can be. Like when you watch the show Friends on repeat, or you're watching, I don't know, Sex in the City, or I, I just can I'm thinking of like really popular all white cast mm-hmm. um, TV shows or movies. Yeah. And when a studio makes an active decision to start including more people of color or, um, you know, more women with stronger roles, not just like they're there, Mm -hmm. uh, or more people with um, disabilities or LGBT, oh my God, LGB, I have a cold. Yeah. Forgive her. LGBTQ <laughs> uh, <laughs> representation. Um, it, it it can make a, a person, a, a child, an adult. It can make the biggest difference on how they connect and see a movie or a TV show or a story. And, yeah. and to to stifle that in someone. It is like you 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 have no idea because you see yourself all the time all the time in in media so you don't understand how important that is yeah and it, you know it's it's funny it's like the more people that i argue with on the internet about it um and i know that they're trolls and i know that you don't feed the trolls but sometimes their arguments are just so weak it's like do you know how dumb you sound <laughs> and if you're one of those Please tell me you're not listening to this, but um, maybe you'll just get mad and leave. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but your arguments are bad. They're not well thought out. Um, because I can refute all of them. But the the more that I do see this on the internet, the more that it makes me think about going back to like what we were originally saying about the role that adaptations play in our experience of a fandom. Because I believe, obviously we didn't see like some like racism comments back in 1999 or 2001 or whenever people were decided to start commenting on internet forums and chats. Um, But because they didn't include any people of color in Peter Jackson's Mm -hmm. Cal, I'm making a good point here. (laughs) 
But, you know, they didn't include any, I mean, that is, that is, I mean, we do know that there are, like, uh, indigenous and people the of color. extras and, like, yeah. the orcs that they, yeah. Yeah, you know, there are people playing orcs and, like, the Witch King and, you know, but they're all covered up. They don't right. look like themselves. Um, and they're also not playing, like, a character that you want to be like unless you're really messed up i don't know i mean <laughs> you want to be like the witch king i mean see a therapist but um <laughs> but you know what i mean like there yes. it i think it it was they're obviously beautiful movies and uh i love all uh, all the things about them you know what i mean but i think it was a missed opportunity and obviously and maybe 2001 I don't know. It's, I mean, it feels like a long time ago, but I guess it wasn't that long time ago because people are still racist AF. But um, it it just goes to show me how so many, so, so many people are basing what they expect and love about Lord of the Rings being Peter Jackson's version. And, Mm. you know, like... They don't care about Tolkien's legacy. They don't care about what's actually canon or the lore because, like, Peter Jackson changed a lot of things, you know? But what Peter Jackson did well, I think, is he captured, like, the heart of it, like, the spirit of it, the vibe, you know, Mm -hmm. like, the Mm -hmm. feeling. I think you can get the same feeling from watching the movies as, like, emotional hits, you know, are similar. But... So, but if that is, I think, one of the underlying things is that because you have internalized this as a white people story, now you're going to be mad when it's, you perceive that it is no longer just a white people thing. And it's like, if you read, I mean, it's like, but the whole idea is multiple races coming together to defeat evil. So it's It's like the whole thing. (laughs) It's really the whole. So it's like. If you can accept that as the premise, then you should be you should accept everybody being involved in this story. Right. You know? So that's that easy. It's that easy. It's that easy. And you know, and what's I think great about Tolkien is that he was so focused on describing to you like every blade of grass and mountain, um, that he didn't really spend a lot of time describing the characters like he'll point out occasionally things but we still don't know what legolas's hair color is Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like we just made that up you know like we know arwen's hair color is dark and elrond's hair color is dark but um that's about it but he does describe sam's hands as brown so but he doesn't say this is explicitly due to tan you know what i mean like (laughs) It, and I think Tolkien says it best at the beginning of the books um, where it, there's like a forward to the to the beginning mm-hmm. uh, where he's saying like, I didn't have any like goal or agenda when writing this. Like, this is for you to take and make it, of it what you will, you know? And I mm-hmm. think that that's what great stories do. And in the spirit of that, we should take it and make it what we need it to be right now. Um, and obviously the, the Amazon show is not remaking Lord of the Rings book. It's remaking 
it's not even remaking it. I mean, it's like telling a piecemeal story from like the appendices. So <laughs> um, we can do whatever we want with it. Absolutely. Yeah. I get that this is a 2022 audience and that that's just the appropriate thing to do. Yeah. 100%. So, you know, I think that in some that the that adaptations I think can can do so much for how we experience a fandom. I think they can really change the game and like they I think they do without even intending to. There is like they do do some gatekeeping, right? Like when as far as who showing who they think uh, they want to represent in a show or how they want to talk or, you know, the language they use. Um, all of it's super interesting and important. So it's like we can take these stories and we can make them to what our modern audience needs them to be right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously anybody making a show, they're going to have different motives. They're going to have different or a movie or maybe you make it into a video game. I know that, you know, that we've mentioned that that's an entry point for some people into a fandom, you know, and a lot of those Lord of the Rings video games are not canon. Like they take what's given and they extrapolate upon it to make whatever's a cool game. Right. You know, so how we consume media is different. Um, But I think that like at the heart of it, things like Tolkien, it's like if you get the whole people's coming together to defeat evil. I mean, you kind of can't really go wrong. No. No, no, no. So, that's that on that. That, It's it's a solid point. That's that on adaptations. So, thank you so much for joining us for our wild and crazy adaptation discussion. Um, This uh, has been... Uh, super fun and I I can't wait to keep doing this every week with you Anna Um, we're going to be back next week talking about the prologue of Fellowship of the Ring um, and maybe uh, more Uh, so be sure to tune in um, next week for that and also we're super excited we have a lot of things planned for the podcast we're going to have some really awesome guests coming up um, and bringing on more of our friends to discuss everything nerdy so be sure to uh subscribe and stay tuned for the next one yay yay (laughs) oh yeah i keep trying to use my mouse but it's actually attached to my work computer so i guess i'll hit stop but it won't kick you off or anything okay